0: On this episode of The Highlander Podcast, we talk with Paige Pagnuco, Program Director for the Utah Avalanche Center, Logan. We discuss safety for snowmobilers and skiers, checking avalanche conditions, and her work keeping the backcountry safe. Okay, welcome back everyone. This is Chase Anderson, and I'm joined today by Paige Pagnuco, the Program Manager, Educator, Forecaster... Of the Utah Avalanche Center here in Logan, uh, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, Chase. Yeah,
0: it's great to have you here. Um, this is very timely, especially in the last few days. We've we've had some avalanche issues, some closures of Logan Canyon, some events that have been canceled because of avalanches. Um, kind of the last few weeks, we've been doing a lot of winter themed. Uh, conversation. So I think it's really timely to have you here and talk a little bit about the Utah Avalanche Center, especially the work that you do here here locally. Um, so f- first of all, for those who don't know, uh, what is the Utah Avalanche Center and kind of the origin of that organization?
1: Right. So for those that don't know, the Utah Avalanche Center is sort of the clearinghouse for all things avalanche in the state of Utah. Um, we provide daily avalanche and mountain weather forecasts around the state in eight different regions. Um, Logan, Ogden. Provo, Salt Lake, the Uintas, the Skyline, Moab, and the Abajos. So pretty much where everybody recreates in the state, we try to get out information about avalanches.
0: Oh, that's great. So so in each one of these areas, there's someone like you who's doing similar work. Is that safe to say?
1: Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. We have dedicated forecasters, uh, and then there's some areas where people travel back and forth to the different areas.
0: Right. So what's the origin of the center itself? Do you have some of that history you could share?
1: Yeah, a little bit of the history. So it started back in about 1989 by a group of sort of dedicated backcountry skiers, um, mostly based down in the central Wasatch, who were just noticing that there were a lot more people starting to go out into the backcountry, and there was no avalanche information. it was just becoming more commonplace places like Alta and Snowbird and and those areas have really easy access to the backcountry and it's amazing uh, touring and but avalanches were happening and they wanted to make sure that people were staying safe and and that was the origins just a group of people sitting around saying we need to do something and here we are 30 years later as a 501c3 nonprofit with a pretty big reach across the state.
0: Oh, that's great. So how long have you been involved and what's your current role as a, as a forecaster, program manager? What does that all entail?
1: Yeah. Um, I've been uh, working with the Utah Avalanche Center since about 2004, um, but I've been involved in the snow and avalanche industry since 1993. Mm. Um, So I've been in the business a long time. What were you doing then? Uh, I worked as a professional ski patroller at Park City Mountain Resort, and that's where I sort of learned the trade. Um, We threw bombs and caused avalanches, and I worked with rescue dogs, and that's sort of where I fell in love with the whole the whole avalanche scene. Right.
0: Um, that, that sounds like a whole nother conversation. We, could, a have a, n- we, we <laughs> could have a whole nother part two here.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's all another conversation. And that, again, it's a, that's a great, um, that's a great career path for someone that wants to get involved in avalanche work is starting out with actually, uh, ski patrolling, mm, um, right. because it's super hands-on and you learn a lot really, really quickly.
0: Right. Right. So w- what's your role look like currently?
1: So currently, I wear a lot of different hats. Um, In the summertime, I find myself writing grants or rewriting education curriculums. Um, In the fall, we do a lot of fundraising. Uh, We have a big fundraising event up here in Logan in the fall called the Pray for Snow Party. Mm. And that's always around the first week of December. And that's just a it's, it's not a big fundraiser so much as it's more of a community event where we just want people to know that we're up here. And um, and if they feel like coming to support us, they can. Um, in the winter, I forecast and teach classes and give awareness talks and all sorts of things. Uh, and then springtime rolls around again and we go back to doing program work or writing grants again.
0: Right. That's great. So day to so day during the wintertime, as soon as snow falls, wh- What does your day-to-day look like and when you're forecasting
1: um when you're forecasting your day-to-day is never the same
0: right yeah (laughs)
1: yeah it changes every day um sometimes if we're like in a high pressure where nothing's going on things are pretty simple but if we're in a storm cycle like we were just over the last couple of days up through the weekend um things are very busy you're up very early in the morning looking at weather data, reading observations, talking to other forecasters. Um, We work closely with UDOT and ski areas. um, So you're just collecting a lot of information. Um, And then using that combined with your field observations um, that you've done over the previous days, you compile and create um, a forecast. We have kind of a templated program. So all of our forecasts around the state look the same. Mm Um, so if you're traveling out to the UNS, it's not going to look any different than what it looks like here. So it makes it really easy to use. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you try and create this sort of uh, easy to understand and apply type forecast so that people can read it and understand where they can go in the backcountry to stay safe.
0: Right. So we're lucky here in, in this region of Cache Valley with the Bear River range, Cache, you know, the Cache, Cache-Wasatch range. There's a lot of backcountry when you're forecasting. How do you what area like what areas are you responsible for? There's so much backcountry. Yeah. What (laughs) and and daily are you going to the same sites checking on these areas or multiple sites? What is what does that look like?
1: We have a huge area up here. I mean, we basically have from the south end of the valley, the Bear River Range all the way up through southeast Idaho Mm. over to Bear Lake um, and then including the Wellsville's. So it's it's a ginormous area. And um, we try our best to get around to different places, but we also try our best to go to places where people go to recreate. Right. Um, so popular trailheads will we'll find ourselves there more often, not only to um, look at the snow there, but also to do outreach um, and right. talk to people that are up there recreating, whether they're snowshoeing with their families or outgoing out on a snowmobile ride or ski or whatever. Right. Um, so we do find ourselves in these places a little more often, um, but we also try to go to these out to maybe less traveled areas um, to make sure that our forecast is is as accurate as possible for the whole range. It's really tough because we have to put a, a danger rating mm-hmm. across the entire range, mm. and the weather can be really different in the Wellsville's than mm-hmm. it can be up by Beaver Mountain. Right. Um, so that's maybe a limiting um it it limits our ability to be hyper accurate but we do our best we collect observations from people that go out just from the general public Mm. because we can't be everywhere there's you know the, the main forecaster toby weed and myself and we just can't cover that much terrain right so we count on the public's input a lot
0: right and and then when you're looking for these popular sites are you working with Partners who have done surveys on on use of specific areas, or is that that's that's all you, or in working with people that you know are actively? Using yeah, it's these just spaces. us,
1: and and we've been here now, like I said, since two thousand three. So we know the area really well. Mm. We know where people go, um, and it doesn't change too much. Um, right. Especially up here, we have a lot of motorized users. Mm. Um, they far outnumber backcountry skiers. And so uh, we tend to focus on uh, those trailheads a lot, especially during the holiday season, because um, maybe they're going to bring friends and family out and and snowmobiles can get way back in there and and they can get onto dangerous slopes really quickly. So um, we try to pay attention to areas where there's the highest risk for maybe an accident to happen.
0: Right. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point where it's all backcountry and you're looking at conditions for. Backcountry skiers, as well as snowmobilers, and like you said, snowmobilers can get pretty deep in there. Um, are you looking for different things based on the sports that people are are <laughs> participating in, in in certain areas, or
1: not? Not particularly. Avalanches don't really discriminate, R- right? Sure. Yeah, they they you know snowmobiles are heavier, yeah, maybe, and and they can get you into more dangerous places more quickly, right, yeah. But the reality is, when we are going out and looking at the snow. We're looking for something in the snowpack that indicates there's going to be a potential for failure. Sure. And that doesn't matter if it's a failure from a skier or a snowmobiler or an extra right. snowflake or whatever. Yeah.
0: I guess with that, do you, do you find certain activities triggering avalanches more often than not? Is,
1: so I don't have the numbers in front of me. But, yeah, yeah in terms of people that are causing accident or causing um, avalanches and getting caught, um snowmobiler numbers are going are trending upward whereas Mm. ski tours um are kind of staying flat and um snowshoers not so much because they can't really get into these places as 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 easily Mm. um but sometimes you know there's like uh ice climbers that'll get into trouble sometimes and sometimes guide services i mean there's all sorts of now we have people on snow bikes Right. And not that they're getting up onto steep terrain, but they can ride underneath steep terrain. Right. So there's it's it's changing a little bit as sports change, but in general, we're kind of always looking for the same um, thing in the snowpack. Right. We're not too worried about how people are are going to get there.
0: Yeah. Do you have do you have any idea why you think it is about like why snowmobilers might might cause more of that? Is it just you feel like you've got this machine that's really fast behind you that?
1: Well, I think it I gives think you
0: kind of a little. Too much confidence?
1: I don't know. I, I don't I don't I don't know if that's the case. I think it's more that, that the machines now can travel further and faster right. than ever before. Yeah. And they're super fun to ride. They mm-hmm. can climb hills that are super steep. Um and I, I think it's just a matter of the fact that technology of machines has kind of outpaced um the rate at which people are expanding their education. Mm. And so we're, we're catching up with that. We're finding over the last couple years that um, more and more snowmobilers are getting educated. Um, they're starting to wear all the rescue equipment that's necessary or that we, we ask people to wear. Um, so there's, they're starting to catch up. And I think, I think their numbers are going to start to decrease. I think overall our numbers are decreasing. Unfortunately, last year we had four fatalities. Um, but the years prior to that, uh, the year prior to that we had zero fatalities so wow. we know it's possible right um, we thought we had done a really good job but then last year showed us that we actually still have quite a bit of work to do
0: right so and and you can certainly speak more to this than I can but um, when it comes to avalanches being triggered is it is it a lack of education is it people getting into those situations that just they they don't know how to read the terrain. What is that pretty common? I think you just nailed it. Actually, yeah.
1: it's it has a lot to do with identifying avalanche terrain. Mm. Um, like last Friday and Saturday when we had elevated avalanche danger, we actually had an avalanche warning out. It that doesn't mean that you really can't go out. It just means that you have to stay off of steep slopes right. and out from underneath them. You can go out and play in the meadows all day long, and it doesn't matter. Um, so it's yeah, it's being able to identify. Avalanche train, and match that up with the forecast, and understand whether it's a go or a no go day.
0: Mm, right. So, and with education, uh, kind of, oh, yeah, hopefully, being the deterrent of more avalanches. Right. Um, it, I if someone wants to be avalanche, what are the certifications that exist or the trainings? What are, are there avalanche <laughs> certifications? Right. What, what's the training? There, look like? there
1: are certifications, but basically you don't need that. Right. There's there's basic classes. We call them BC 101 classes and it's an evening in the classroom and then a full field day. And just the knowledge that you're going to learn from that is going to be enough to keep you out of trouble if you right. put it into practice. Right. Yeah.
0: So it's not a huge commitment for no. people who want to participate uh, no. and, and and participate and recreate safely.
1: No. Yeah, exactly. It's it's super, it, you know, it is a little bit of an investment. It's not exorbitant, you right. know, a couple hundred bucks and, and a Saturday, which are, you know, it's tough because a lot of people, they work Monday through Friday and Saturday is their play day. so it's tough to give up that day but really it's it's worth the sacrifice because it just becomes uh second nature once you kind of learn how to be your own avalanche expert you learn how to train yourself with your rescue equipment um and then it just becomes a part of your daily routine so it's worth doing it for sure
0: right oh absolutely um i'm not as familiar on the snowmobile side but as a part of vehicle registration there's 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 not any avalanche safety that's required. It's a, Is no. there any type of safety class? No. Is that something that the avalanche center gets involved in at no. the state level is pushing <laughs> for? Or?
1: No, we tend to work more with um, manufacturers, mm. snowmobile manufacturers and just regular ski equipment manufacturers um, in, in pushing avalanche education onto their customers, right. um, you know, and saying, hey, you know, you're going to buy this machine, you might want to. You know, it's smart to right. be, it, it's savvy to be, you know, smart about avalanches. Right. It kind of goes along with the package.
0: Right. Sure. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, do you mind talking through a little bit what, what people should look for, uh, when looking at conditions and terrain, what are the telltale signs that you shouldn't be going in an area?
1: Huh? That's a big loaded question. <laughs> um, I kind of, uh. think i'll i'll steer away i'll I'll steer away from that a little bit but then come back to it because really at at a basic level we run a program called know before you go Uh which is a basic avalanche awareness program and it's actually available online for free to anybody it's kbyg.org and there's tons of resources on that website there's uh, videos there's e-learning Um, you can watch the presentation you don't even have to go to a presentation you can just watch it being given um but there's five points that are brought home with no before you go and one of them is get the gear so you've got to have a beacon a shovel and a probe you have to and everybody in your group does too and they all have to know how to use them (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and get the training, the second one. So take a class, right? Just because you have the gear doesn't mean that you all of a sudden are gonna be safe. It's not gonna save your life. You have to be able to make good decisions and you're gonna learn how to do that in a proper class. Um, then when you go out in the backcountry, we ask you to get the forecast, right? So click on the link in the morning and we actually encourage people to read it throughout the winter so that they can kind of stay up on top of it, they can stay up on top of trends and they can begin to understand maybe what some lingering problems are. Um, A lot of times with avalanches, we'll have problems that occur when we're in a storm cycle, but then they'll dissipate. Sometimes though, we have problems in the snowpack that last for longer periods of time. And so it's really helpful if you read the forecast throughout the winter to kind of understand those trends. Um, We ask people to get the picture. Um, which is basically maybe what you were asking. So when people go out, we ask them to pay attention to red flags. So if we were gonna go out skiing and we had a plan in place and we went out and all of a sudden we look over and we see an avalanche on a slope that's similar to where we're headed, that's a huge red flag. Mm -hmm. Probably need to change our plans. Um, Things like heavy snowfall, um, strong winds, Uh, Warming temperatures or rain like we had over this past weekend are huge red flags. The snowpack does not like rapid change and that's when avalanches occurs when we have rapid changes to it. Um, So yeah, all of those can kind of be really, really blaring, like flashing lights, like hey, you need to pay attention to what's going on when these things are happening. Um, And then the last one for know before you go is get out of harm's way. And this one actually, if you, if people just practice this. Um, we would have a lot fewer fatalities, especially up here in the Logan area. We find that, um, you know, on Christmas Eve in 2008, I believe, we had a double fatality. And there's no reason for that. We need to just go one at a time, only expose one person at a time. So if something does happen, the other people are watching from a safe place, and then they can come in and effect a rescue. But if everybody's on the slope at the same time and they all get caught, you're kind of out of luck.
0: Right. Oh, that's great. That's that's really valuable information to know. And I hadn't even considered that. Right. And <laughs> I I do ski, right. but hadn't really considered the logistics of that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like no one can save you if you know, you're all buried. Yep. Right. Um, what what is there? You know, are there any you know, if, if someone is caught in an avalanche? you know, what then, you know, what can you walk through some of those steps? Like if, you, if you're, yeah. you know, and we never want that to happen. But yeah. what are some of the things that people need to know in, in those situations? Right. Obviously, well, we don't want to get to that point.
1: Right. But. Well, the big one up here is that we actually have very little um, communication ability in our mountains. Right. There's very little cell service. So truly, when you are out there, you are on your own. Right. So if you think someone's going to come and help you think again because right. you really are on your own. And so that really goes back to the point of not only having the rescue gear, but knowing exactly how to use it, right. like practicing, 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 and making it really hard when you practice so that when the time comes, if something does happen, you're not trying to figure out how to turn your beacon on or turn it to uh, receive or how your probe fits together, or even how to shovel right. strategically, which is something that we teach in yeah. our field classes. Right. Um, but if something does happen, um, You know, you have to kind of uh, assess the situation, Um, keep an eye on your partner that's been caught, Um, try and follow them down through the avalanche so you can keep an eye and um, you wanna, something that's really important uh, in effecting a rescue is understanding where the last seen place was Mm. Um, because it really helps you. Avalanches move kind of like water and they just flow. And so someone's not gonna all of a sudden jump from the right side to the left side of something. Right. so it helps you track them, and then um, you're going to want to make sure the scene's safe, like there's no other avalanche hazard. Uh, then you're going to work your way probably down, maybe up the avalanche path. It depends where you're watching from. And use your beacon, um, which is, we call it a beacon. It's a transceiver. It transmits and receives a signal. So your victim or the person under the snow is still going to be sending out a signal, and you're going to switch yours to receive so you can pick it up. And they're super high-tech and they're actually super easy to use if you practice with them. And uh, it'll bring you close to the person, but again, they're under the snow. Um, So you'll go through your search methods. Again, this is something you'd learn in a class. But then you take out your probe, which is just a big, long stick with a pointy end, and you're going to stick that in the snow until you get a probe strike. Mm. Uh, And then you leave that in place when you feel like you've hit something that's probably feels like a person mm-hmm. uh and then you're going to start shoveling like hell right because con- avalanche deposition or avalanche debris sets up like concrete right. and it's incredibly hard to move so if they're buried you know any more than one or two feet under the snow you're going to have a lot of snow to move right and you're going to want to go for their face their mouth so you can get their airway cleared and get the snow cleared off their chest and, right you know kind of go into uh your first aid mode
0: right so anyway, yeah. Everyone, sort of take this class. <laughs> yeah. yeah, This is yeah. this is so valuable to know. Um, have you seen in, in your time working with Utah Avalanche Center, what does participation look like among backcountry skiers and snowmobilers? Do you see a lot more new participation? People who are getting into the sport who aren't getting this education that they need. Um, how how many are you seeing? A lot of new people jump into backcountry skiing, um, and and into snowmobiling. Yes. Kay. But I don't
1: have numbers. We don't right. actually track sort of industry numbers, but sure. just based on what we see at Trailheads uh, on busy weekends and also um, sort of the popularity of, um, you know, looking at a lot of Instagram stuff and social media stuff and the availability of um, backcountry gear. Even here at Utah State at the outdoor uh, program center, they yeah. rent backcountry touring gear and skins and avalanche gear. And um, so it's it's readily accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do know that our classes uh, fill up regularly um, and we're trying to expand how we offer those classes every year and where we offer them so that we can try and cover um, as much area as possible.
0: Right. It's this is a topic that I talked with with Ryan Choi. He was on recently and and we talked about, well, his path And into backcountry skiing, he, he just kind of, he found a mentor who helped guide him through and and taught him. Um, but we, we kind of realized there's not really a clear path for people who want to learn backcountry skiing. Maybe, maybe, you know, yeah, I don't, you know, that is the
1: interesting thing. I don't know. I don't know if the university offers a class or not. It is a very, uh, much an individually motivated effort. Right. And, and Ryan's right. If you can find a mentor. Um, that's a great way to get out there because that mentor is probably going to have seen mm-hmm. a lot and taken all the classes, uh, and can impart a lot of wisdom, right. um, you know, that you may not find in textbooks or online. Or.
0: Right. And hopefully teaches you all the good habits, and right. not the bad. Right. right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's a patient process. I mean, it's not something that you can, even when you do take a class, it's sort of like opening up Pandora's box mm-hmm. for some people. And, and some people realize, wow, I don't really know anything. Right. And some people go, oh, okay, well now I'm an expert. And we kind of warned yeah. against that because, um, you know, even after being in this business a very long time, I learn new things every day I go out right. and I never assume anything and I never really feel like an expert.
0: Right. Well, it, it seems like we're in a really great place and and we're lucky to have Utah Avalanche Center and and you located here along with organizations like Nordic United because between Those two organizations it seems like there's a good network of of individuals who can act as mentors and and maybe help introduce people to the sport and educate them and and point them to all the right resources and and kind of onboard people into backcountry skiing and snowmobiling well um, snow yeah snowmobiling i
1: think um the top of utah snowmobile association is really active in this area um and also the utah snowmobile association i think that's what it called they're starting to really expand their outreach in terms of education and awareness um, which is fantastic um, 10 years ago there were no snowmobile providers of snowmobile classes mm. um, but now we're finding that snowmobile professionals are starting to really latch on to the idea they're getting high level certifications for teaching Uh, And then, you know, passing that on. And and so there's sort of two tracks and and it's because we travel really differently when you're on skis Mm -hmm. in a snowmobile. That's the biggest difference. We're always looking for the same things, but it's how you travel in avalanche terrain that's totally different. And that's why there's a there you have to offer them in different class settings because it's just a different way to learn about the same stuff.
0: Sure. Well, between those three organizations, it seems yeah. like whether you know <laughs> there's not necessarily a formal onboarding process um, to to help educate people and get people into the sport, at least there's a network of individuals and mentors who yeah. can help introduce yeah. people how to do it safely. Yeah um, kind of a, m- more of a personal question, How'd you get into skiing? and snow sports and <laughs> what led you to this, to right, this space?
1: Right. We could talk for a long time about that, but, um, I grew up actually back East and my family, uh, actually my dad really wanted to have a sport that we could all do together. And so when I was one and a half or two and they were in their early thirties or late twenties, we all learned to ski together. And um, it just became a family thing that we did every year. And, um, and then I ended up ski racing in college. Uh, and then after college, I moved to Park City. I'd been there once and I thought it was the most beautiful place I'd ever seen. And I haven't really left Utah since. That's great. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then, and then what led you here to Logan?
1: Um, actually, Toby Weed, um, who's the main forecaster up here is also my husband um he was offered a job with the forest service uh as the lead forecaster in logan in 2003. okay and so he he moved up here we all moved up here um and we sort of expanded what had already been started there had been a avalanche program before um a little bit with the utah avalanche center but um, there was a professor here mike jenkins who actually years before had started the bear river avalanche information center um, and he ran it out of his lab in the forestry department. And um, he was a big, big founder of avalanche work in this area and deserves a lot of credit for sort of the early days of um, getting avalanche information out there to, to people that were traveling. And, but we've carried it on and hopefully uh, expanded it and, you know, keep doing a good job. That's great.
0: <laughs> um, from your perspective, what's, what is the state of snow sports in this area? There's so much opportunity. Um, I, I keep seeing, I, I see a lot of growth too with, I know now there's the Uller race that Nordic United is, is, is putting back on again. Um, it just seems like there's a lot more activity when it comes to snow sports, especially, you know, top of Utah, um, snowmobilers group, um, being more active up in, in this area from your perspective, what do you think the state of snow sports up in this area is?
1: Uh, I think it's a great place, Um, but don't tell anybody. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's horrible skiing. It's always crusty right now. Um, No, it's, you know, you shouldn't live here if you don't like snow sports. Mm -hmm. Um, We can have winter from October to May. And um, if you can't get out and enjoy it, then it makes it a really long winter. But yeah, I think between snowmobiling, backcountry skiing, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, Um, snow biking. I mean, it just seems endless, all the possibilities. And so far, there's enough room in our range for all of that. We're not seeing the overcrowding that the central Wasatch is seeing. Um, And uh, I think with responsible use and and management, we'll be able to keep it that way for a long time.
0: That's great. I I feel like some people who who come to Cache Valley, they they don't realize there's the long winters and maybe that leaves a bad taste in, in their mouths. It's it's not their flavor. Right. Um, but I, I think that's something that that Cache Valley, if it wants to strengthen that kind of outdoor community, that outdoor brand could really own that. Right. And yeah. really accept uh, accept and own like we we have a great winter here. Yeah. Um, and that was why it was fun to have Ryan on and talk about, you know, winter being his favorite season. And yeah. he likes that it's long. Yeah. Um, so I think more people like you promoting that and, and saying, hey, how great it is. is It's is great for outdoor recreation in general for this area. Yeah. Um, what, what else do you want people to know about the Utah Avalanche Center? How do, how do we stay in touch with you? Any parting thoughts about... Your work, we really appreciate everything you do to, to keep people safe and and really the tireless work that I don't know if people know maybe people in the community know <laughs> what it takes, um, but people maybe who are on the fringe don't don't realize, you know, the painstaking work it takes to go and right. and make sure people have the information they need to be safe. What what more do you want people to know about about yeah. your work in the center?
1: Well, first, we really appreciate all the support that we get. Um, it's really coming from a lot of different places and a lot of different communities within Cache Valley. And and we appreciate it because it makes a world of difference when we're doing all this work and someone says, Hey, I read your report today and we really appreciate that makes it's big. Um, because we don't know how many, well, we, we, we track, you know, web hits and all that stuff, but, um, really we're just putting this out there and, and hoping it makes a difference. Um, but I, I, uh, The Utah Avalanche Center, I I think what's important for people to know is that even though we're somewhat of a Forest Service agency, we have a nonprofit side um, because over half of our funding comes from private donations. The Forest Service has been chopping budgets for years. Um, So our nonprofit side does a lot of hard work to raise money to support all the programs that we have, including our forecasting program. So if somebody wants to donate, um they they easily can on our website which is utavlanchecenter.org there's a big red donate button on there can't miss it <laughs> can't miss it exactly um yeah i mean our forecasts are free everything on our website is free um there's mountain weather forecasts like i said there's forecasts for eight regions around the state um there's a ton of just resource information that's available so if someone finds that's valuable to them um you know we'd love if they'd show their their support in some financial way. And like I said, we put on a big party up here. We do a really big party down at Black Diamond in the fall um, where people, you know, will, will show their support that way by bidding on silent auction items or just buying a dinner ticket or whatever. So there's, there's lots of ways to show support, um, but, you know, just hearing thank yous, um, having interactions through our social media. Um, That definitely makes us feel like we're doing good work.
0: Well, that's great. Well, how do people stay in touch with you, the organization? Um, You've mentioned the website already, but how do we stay in touch with the group?
1: Well, the easiest thing is actually through our website. Um, We all of our information is on there. All of our contact information is on there, Um, especially if uh, somebody is out in the backcountry and they see or trigger an avalanche. Um, We have an observation form that they can fill out, and you can upload pictures, um, and we love getting information like that. We also have a Facebook page, Utah Avalanche Center in Logan. Um, Our social media, I think, is UTAVY underscore Logan. Pretty easy to find. Um, So we're pretty easy to get a hold of.
0: Oh, that's perfect. Well, great. Thank you again for taking the time and for all the amazing work that you do. Hopefully it's a quiet winter for you the rest of the season
1: yeah I hope so it's been pretty exciting the last month
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but
1: yeah usually as we move into spring things tend to quiet down a little bit and uh we can uh you know relax a little bit right not that's all good. the way but a little bit
0: well that's good hopefully everyone stays safe out there so yeah. thanks again for coming up all right thanks appreciate Chase
1: it. I appreciate it thanks
0: thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast subscribe and listen for more outdoor stories and content wherever podcasts are found on highlanderbag.com and each Sunday at 4 p.m. on Aggie Radio, 92.3 FM in Cache Valley.